You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Wow, I'm tremendously honored in these five weeks at least to be able to teach one of these teachings on the series, The Great Exchange. Just in case you wonder why this series is called The Great Exchange, is because when every single one of us have surrendered our lives to Jesus, when we make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives, a great exchange has happened. Last week's topic was Ephesians chapter 2 that Pastor Ariel had so powerfully presented to us. It tells us our real condition, the real depravity of man. We are dead in our transgression and our sins. This is the picture of humanity. But in verse 4, the great exchange was this fact. Because of God's love and great mercy on us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This salvation we're talking about is never achieved by our works, not by religion, not by doing the best we could. It could only be achieved by grace, something we do not deserve purely on the merits of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So the great exchange happens when Jesus took our sin and gave us His righteousness. He took our guilt and gave us forgiveness. He took our curse that we might be blessed with every spiritual blessings you can imagine. If you are not experiencing that today, the enemy has either lied to you or has cheated you. We are not blessed because we read our Bible this morning. I wish you did. But it is not, it does not hinge on that fact. We are blessed because of what Christ has done. He took our curse from us. He took our poverty that we might become rich. He took our sorrow to give us joy. He took our anxieties, our fears, and gave us peace and hope. He took our death and gave us eternal life. Now, how many of you think that is a great exchange? Amen? Today we are going to look at one of these great exchanges again. But before I do so, the focus of the great exchange is a study of this big, seemingly big word in theology called soteriology. It is really a doctrine of salvation. So the next time Pastor Ariel asks you, are you certain? Are you sure that if you're going to die today, you will go to heaven? There should be no hint of hesitation. There should be no confusion. There should be no questioning in your mind. I mean, five weeks talking of nothing else but focusing on salvation. We cannot come out of this series not being certain, not being solid, not being sure of our salvation in Christ. If there's still some residue of doubt, I hope that will all be gone after this message. There are many different departments in theology. There is exegetical, there's historical theology, there's practical theology. But the ones that we, that is very systematic 
is what we call, of course, systematic theology, which aims to arrange religious truths in an orderly, rational, and coherent account of the doctrines of the Christian faith. So do not be impressed. I know this will bore you, but it would be good for you to know. Why are we studying this series? Systematic theology can cover doctrines like Christology, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus, pneumatology, that's not hydraulics, that is a study of the Holy Spirit, anthropology, the doctrine of humanity, and many of this will probably be done in a series down in the future. Ecclesiology, where we get the word ecclesia or iglesia, is where is the doctrine of the church. We have eschatology, a st- doctrine of the last things. And of course, today we're going to study soteriology. We, we, we are studying soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, focusing primarily on this great exchange. Soteriology also expounds on related doctrines. And I wanted to touch this just before we even go to start this primary message. Let me just sh- share this with you. The concept, these are related Concepts, when we talk about salvation, the concept of redemption. These are big words and theological words. But I want to break it down to something simple. When you think of redemption, when you redeem something, it's buying something back. You won in a raffle, you redeem your price. You buy it back, okay? We are slaves spiritually, we are slaves to sin and death. Jesus bought our freedom, He purchased us. With the most priceless gift of all, His very own blood. He gave His life as a ransom to redeem us. That's the picture of redemption. We don't belong to the devil. We belong to Jesus. Because we have been bought back. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Therefore, we belong to Jesus. It doesn't matter what your spiritual condition is right now. Secondly, is the concept of justification. Here the concept of justification is that a guilty person has been given the status of righteous. We're always condemned. Every time we fall short, we feel condemned. I want you to know you have been justified not by your good deeds, not by your own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. You are, it is like another way of saying justification is as if you have never sinned. You are not guilty. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. If someone asks you, are you righteous? You have to boldly and confidently say, yes, yes, yes. Not because of anything I do, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. The story of the Passover when they were given the instruction to kill a lamb and to get the blood and put it on the doorposts of the house. So when the spirit of death comes and it sees the blood, it will pass over the house. Not because the people inside the house were righteous, but the righteousness is in the blood. The blood of Jesus covers you when the spirit of death comes to you. You are righteous not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Amen? The third concept is this big word called propitiation. It means to appease, to satisfy, to make peace, to reconcile. The holy God who cannot tolerate sin had to be satisfied by sacrifice. And I want to let you know, Jesus was a perfect Lamb of God who fully paid the price and satisfied the wrath of God in the Old Testament, which foreshadows the coming of Christ, they have to offer blood again and again and again. But in the New Testament, once and for all, 
one time because Jesus is perfect. God's wrath has been fully satisfied. So we don't have an angry God looking down on us, watching over us. We make mistakes. He whips his, you know, he whisks his whip. No. We have a heavenly father who reaches down to us and say, I receive you. You are mine. This is why we can talk about concepts of intimacy. We can sing songs like, I am a friend of God. Why? Because the wrath has been satisfied. Amen? You know why God gave us this different concept? Just in case our skull is so thick, He cannot penetrate the revelation of His love for us. We will be so overwhelmed by these different pictures that by the time we're done, we are fully convinced. God loves us. Amen? The third concept is sanctification. Jesus does not just begin with salvation. He who began the good work in your life is committed to complete it because He is faithful who called you. Amen. And this is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. We should be better Christians today than we were last year. Better husbands, better businessmen, better fathers, better mothers, better boss, better employees, better children. And finally, the substitutionary atonement refers to Jesus dying as a substitute for sinners. Without Christ, we're going to die and spend eternity in hell as payment for our sins. Outside of Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no name given among men whereby man can be saved. There's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, no one else. No one comes to the Father except through Him alone. These are important concepts that I want us to understand fully. In understanding salvation, this is just as a quick review. We need to know bad news, good news, and fake news. The bad news, all men sin and fall short of the glory of God. Not us, not Pastor Steve, not the Pope. Every single person have fallen short of the glory of God. If there is one human being that is capable to save himself, then God would have used that as an excuse and say, you see somebody in Kyrgyzstan did it. No, you guys have no excuse. See, all men have fallen short. This is why God sent a Savior. If we have the ability, if man has the capability to save himself apart from Christ, Jesus do not need to die on the cross. This is why we needed a Savior. That's the bad news. But the good news is God so loved the world. He gave us His one and only Son that whosoever puts his faith and believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Every time we have communion, we read this text. We look back at 1 Corinthians. What the Lord passed on to you as of first importance. There are many things that should be learned and we need to learn. In the kingdom of God. There are many things we need to learn as Christians. But the very first thing you need to learn is salvation. That's why it's called first importance. That Christ died. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. Because here's the thing. But I believe in Jesus. Everybody believes. Even demons believe in Jesus. But he died on the cross. And so are the two thieves who died on the cross with him. What's the big deal about Jesus? What makes Jesus different from people who died on the cross and from all other religious leaders that walk on the face of the earth. 
When he died, he died a sinless man. Therefore, he's the only human being that can defeat death. This is why he was born of a virgin. Because the bloodline flows from the Father. He had no sin in him. He's the only one who can defeat death. Amen? That's what makes Jesus different from any human being that walked on earth. And his resurrection not only defeated death, but gave us hope to have eternal life. So he died on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven. And he rose from the dead that we might receive the gift of eternal life. But brothers and sisters, the most fatal, the most dangerous of all is fake news. Because it has a semblance of truth, but it is a distortion of truth. The question of salvation boils down to who and what are you trusting in for eternal life? Because you could be religious, but you're trusting in your religion, in your performance. And that is fake news, my brothers and sisters. That's why it's so dangerous, because it has the elements of the gospel in it. But it is distorted. Fake news is called in Galatians as a different gospel, which is not a true gospel at all. Let me give you a few examples. Grace plus faith plus works equals salvation. We call this legalism. People tend to think they are justified by their good behavior. They find it too simplistic to just simply put their faith in Jesus. They have to work. There is a place for work. I'll explain to you in a moment. But if you put W before S, it is distorted gospel. Distorted. Next is grace plus faith minus works equals salvation. So that should be correct. Because now we remove works in the equation. Wrong. We call this antinomianism. From two word, Greek words, anti, against, nomos, the law. Against the law. It's a belief that individuals are justified before God by grace and faith alone without any corresponding change in moral or ethical restrictions in behavior. Jesus said, you'll know real Christians by their fruits. It's a belief that there are no moral laws. This is antinomianism, belief there are no moral laws God expects Christians to obey, which makes it false. It omits repentance, lordship, sanctification. Some people call justification just a vacation by faith. The third fake news is absolutely nothing at all. Grace minus faith minus works, we call this universalism. Hey man, doesn't matter who you worship, it leads to the same God or gods. All humankind will eventually be saved. Jesus atoned for everyone's sin. So, what's the advice in Matthew? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. And what does God say to people like that? You fool, your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Because you have not lived your life and you are not rich toward God. What is the gospel? It's grace plus faith alone. No addition. No distortion. No pollution. Equals salvation. But that salvation has evidence. Salvation results into good works. It is not before it. If you put works before S, it's distortion. It had to be after S. We are saved for good works, not by them. Ephesians 2, 8 clearly says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. 
It is a gift of God, not by your works, so that no man can boast. Verse 10, it says, For we are God's worksmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. You said we're not saved by good works. Now you're saying we are created to do good works. Correct. There's no conflict. There's no contradiction. We are saved by grace and faith alone. But once we are saved, we are saved to do good works. Because now God has changed our hearts. F.F. Bruce, one of the leading theologians of our day and is still alive, says, justification is by faith alone. But that faith that justifies is not alone. But you don't put that before salvation. It's after you are saved. So what we do, we come to church. We worship God. If we're saved by grace and faith alone, then why do we still go to church? Why do we still read our Bibles? Why do we still do these good things? These are all acts of worship. This is our way of saying, thank you, Jesus. It's never to pay God back because it can never be paid. Today, our topic is about alienation to belonging. This is the focus of the great exchange. I want us to understand where we were before, what our true condition was before we accept Christ. This is a lengthy passage, but I want you to really look on, focus on the words. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Speaking about Jews and Gentiles. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Father, we ask for spirit of wisdom and revelation concerning this particular great exchange, how we were so far off and yet you brought us near to yourself. We praise you, bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 2, the preaching of Pastor Ariel last week, verses 1 to 10, focus primarily on our reconciliation with God our Father. Today, Verses 11 to 22, which is the entire, the rest of the entire chapter of, of chapter 2, focuses on our re- reconciliation with God's people and with one another. It is amazing that God is not only concerned, He did not stop short at us getting reconciled to Him. He wants to see to it that we are reconciled to one another. 
As a matter of fact, this is so important. Our, how we relate with one another. Winning the world, winning our relatives, winning our neighbors, our office mates, our family members hinges on how we relate with each other. It says, the world will know we're true disciples. We're true followers. Our Christianity is authentic by the way we show our love for one another. Because sometimes you might have the right message, but it could be a stumbling block because we do not rightly relate. They do not see it in our lives. So though my, our message might be true, they would think this is fake. Look at him, how he relates to his wife. Look at him, how he relates to his children, his maids or her maids. How we relate with each other validates our witness to the world. Now before we fully appreciate where we are today, we need to look back at our depravity to realize how great this gift of salvation is. We need to look at our condition before our sinfulness, our perversion, our uncleanness before God. You will understand in a moment why the Jews, the circumcised people would call the uncircumcised. They seem to be mean to them. You'll understand in a moment why. Of course, they went beyond the law and become spiritually prideful people to the point that they condescend on others. Gentiles were called uncircumcised by the Jews. We're described as separated from Christ, alienated, which means excluded, cut off, shut out from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, no hope and without God in the world. Let's zoom in a little bit and take a closer look at what our lives looked like before. We were both alienated from God and from the people of God. Ephesians 2.11 in the contemporary English version says, don't forget that you are Gentiles. In fact, you used to be called uncircumcised by those who take pride in being circumcised. What's the big deal about circumcision and uncircumcision? Circumcision was a physical sign of their covenant with the Lord. In other words, anyone that is not circumcised, can you imagine when David attack Goliath, he called this uncircumcised Philistine. He's trying to find a word that would express his disgust. He used the word uncircumcised Philistine because they were not God's people. They were outside of God's covenant promises. To be uncircumcised was to be separated from the Lord. And the Jews see to it, the people, the Gentiles know it. In fact, the Pharisees would pray daily, Oh God, I give thanks that I am Jew and not a Gentile. That is how disgustful they are of people that are not God's people. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. In short, we are Christless without a Messiah. No salvation excluded from the life of God. A few chapters in Ephesians 4.18 says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. 
alienated from the life of God. And then it uses the word alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Contemporary English version used the word, you were foreigners. Foreigners. Cut off from any part in Israel's right as a nation. Foreigners were excluded from citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants having no part in God's agreement. No part in the covenant promise that God made with them. Another description used. What it looks like, what our lives were before at one time. Having no hope without God in the world. In other words, not only are we hopeless, we are godless. Don't get me wrong. The Gentiles worshipped many gods. The Gentiles had many gods, but they were without the one true God. Do you know that story in the book of Acts? Why they made an altar to the unknown God? Because there was a plague that hit that place. Many people died. They don't know who's God to appease. So they created that altar to the unknown God in case they don't know who He is. And that is what Paul used as a platform to share the true and living God who created the heavens and the earth. While God did plan to bless all nations through Israel, the Gentiles didn't know this. They didn't know the promises. They didn't know the hope of the promises. And they did not know the one who gave the promise. Instead, they opted for idols instead of God, suppressing the truth revealed to them. You know, God did not lack in demonstrating His witness to the world. We call this all an act of grace. But people choose to reject God even though God is revealed in many things. I don't have time to look, but if you have the time, look at Romans 1, 18 to 23. It'll blow you away because people suppress the truth and replace God for images that looks like, you know, other things. Worship the created things rather than the creator. And guys, before we've even trusted in Christ, we are in the same position we were separated from God and from His people. This is why we need to be compassionate with people. We're now, there is zero entitlement. This is why it's called grace. None of us ever earned our salvation. From the day we get saved, even if you're already 30-year-old Christian, 50-year-old Christian, the more you walk with God, the more humble you become. Because every day is an expression of His grace to you. The fact that we still breathe today. No entitlement. This is why in church, there is no reason why we should be asserting our rights and fighting and dividing God's church, which so prevalently happens in many, many congregations and churches. They have totally forgotten where they are coming from. We are only people forgiven, recipients of His mercy and grace. But this is the good news. But now, Pastor Ariel greatly emphasized last week, but God, the message of but God is no different it's in the same vein. But now, this is the good news. Verse 13, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The answer to our alienation is reconciliation and belonging. And that is only accomplished on what Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 describes how Christ reconciles us to God. But verse 11 to 22 describes how Christ reconciles us to people and one another. 
Salvation allows us to enter into our relationship with God but also into a new family of believers. That's why the sweetest, the best place in the world is to be part of the church. Have you ever been exposed to other social groups? And I hope you should to engage people. There's all kinds of clubs, motorcycle clubs, pet clubs, social clubs, cooking clubs, all that. I think part of that is because of a sense of they want to feel they belong. There is no better place to be than the church. Amen? You could be yourself. You don't have to impress people because this is an authentic body of Christ. Christ has made both Jews and Gentiles one. Christ reconciled both Jews and Gentiles to God in one body. I'll explain to you in a moment why. Through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. But now, two powerful words that change the status of our lives. If God had not intervened, we would be without God in our lives. In Christ Jesus, this great divide was bridged. I already explained to you earlier, no mediator between God and man, but Jesus. No access to God, but through Jesus. Far off simply means a world without God. I'm just trying to highlight some of these very important words brought near. Both Jews and Gentiles, religious and irreligious, rebellious, self-righteous, who tries so hard to save himself, has now been brought near. So it's not just the Gentiles who's trying hard to be saved. Everyone does. It was the law that divided both Jews and Gentiles. Why? Because it's the Jews who have the covenants of God. They have the assurance of God's presence. But now there is no distinction in the gospel. Why? All have fallen short. But please, don't go beyond this concept as if the Jews are nothing to God anymore. They will always and will be God's very, very, very special people. They are the original olive. And we are only grafted in. And at the right time, God will do something with His special people. There's no distinction. We're all sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All are far off from God. But now we have been rescued by God through Jesus and now are all brought near to God. Ephesians 2, 14 says, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is this dividing wall again? Prejudice. Because of the special place the Jews have, they considered everyone else to be unclean. Pagans, infidels, rebels. All have sinned. That puts us all in the same place. Neither Gentiles nor Jews are capable of keeping God's law. All now need a Savior. Jesus came, died, rose again, fulfilling and abolishing the law as a way of salvation. Jesus opened to both Jews and Gentiles a way to God by faith in Him. If you have the time to reflect back in the entire book of Galatians, this is the whole discourse. If you think you can be justified by law, think again. No one can be justified by the law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. And He is writing to the Jews. By offering salvation to all kinds of people, Christ could create one new person from the two groups. So, Messianic Jews are not your typical Jew that is prideful maybe. If you have been to Israel, if you have been to uh, the Holy Land, 
the Messianic Jews are totally different because they understand salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. In Ephesians 2.16, they might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Once there were Jewish persons and Gentile persons because Christ broke down the dividing wall, believing Jews and Gentiles can have unity with one another in Christ. Christ brings Jews and Gentiles to God in one body and one spirit. Ephesians 2.17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The Gentiles were far away because they knew little or nothing about God because neither group could be saved by good deeds, knowledge or sincerity. And sometimes fake news also tells us because we think we know, we have some units in theology or sometimes because we feel like we are sincere. How many know you can be sincerely wrong? That will not get you saved. All needed to hear the salvation that's available through Jesus. So both Jews and Gentiles are now free to come to God through Jesus Christ. Take a look at where we were before and where we are today. This is the work of Jesus. Before we are without Christ, aliens and strangers, no hope without God. But because of Jesus, now in Christ, we are now in Christ. We are no more strangers, aliens. We are now member of God's family. We are called to one hope before we were hopeless. We know now God's promises. And we can now call God our Father. Our Heavenly Father. Let's go to the last part of this. And that is, so then. Can you say with me, so then. This is now the outcome, the implications. This is our new status push. Paul uses the metaphors of kingdom, family, and temple to describe the new status of Gentile believers. We're no longer strangers and aliens. We are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of His household. In Him, the whole building is joined together and grows to become a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, we are being built together to become a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In short, we have now a new identity. We need to understand who we have now become because of what Jesus did. Ephesians 2, 19-22 summarizes Christ's reconciliation work by reminding Gentiles who they are. They are now joined together with Jewish believers and belong to a new community. There are three descriptions we see in the last few verses that show us we've been linked and joined together not only to Jesus but to one another. And these are that we are described as fellow citizens being joined together, being built together. This is our new identity. Paul uses three word pictures, citizen, family, and stones in the temple. As I just quickly show you these three slides to close. One is the picture of the citizens of God's kingdom. We're no longer refugees, no longer alienated. Gentile believers are not second class citizens. We are now full members and citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen? You see, Paul wrote at a time when Roman citizenship was highly prized. Being a Roman citizen had many privileges. Citizenship in a great country is a blessing, but there's nothing like being a citizen in the kingdom of God. Amen? You are not a second-class citizen. You have full rights and privileges in God's kingdom. Foreigners in another city or country may feel vulnerable. We travel quite often. We have to keep our papers with us all the time. If you go to Macau and other places, police can randomly check. If you don't have your papers, you go straight either to immigration, to jail, or you're deported. You have to keep it at all times. Paul says we do not have to feel this way because we belong. We are part of the kingdom that has no end. 
the only kingdom that has no end. I love it when I fly back to Manila. I feel like this is my turf, my country. Siga Corito. This is my nation. Amen. Second is members of God's family. Wow. This is something more personal. To think of a Jew and a Gentile sharing a territory is one thing. But to call them one family, that is just absolutely shocking. Elsewhere, Paul says we are God's household. How are we one family? Whether you like it or not, you may have different food preferences. Your preferences for stuff might be different. Music, you know, shopping stuff, whatever. But I wanted you to know this. The same Holy Spirit that lives in Jesus, lives in Pastor Ariel, lives also in you and every single one of us. Whether you like it or not, we have one heavenly Father that makes us true brothers and sisters in Christ. It goes beyond ethnicity. It goes beyond language. It goes beyond culture. This is why when you meet Christians in other nations, you immediately feel the connection. It is family. Ephesians 2, 8, for through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We are adopted children. Ephesians 1, 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus according to the purpose of His will. The church is made up of adopted brothers and sisters. We have responsibility in this family. We are one family, fulfilling our role, bringing glory to our Father. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul says we should treat one another like family. And finally, as I close here, Stones in God's temple. Paul's third metaphor. For thousands of years, the temple has been the focal point of Israel. From the time of Solomon, Zerubbabel to Herod. But there was a new temple not made with stones and bricks, but made with people. And the foundation of this temple is God's word, not the apostles and prophets. They are the one who teach the word of God, which is the foundation. And that foundation is Jesus. The cornerstone. He makes the whole building possible. The whole community is built on Him. He gives security to the building. Order, alignment, and strength. If you have time, read First Peter sometime. Ephesians 2.22 says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That word, you also, refers to us Gentiles being added to this building. Previously, Gentiles were not allowed to enter the temple. Now they are a part of it. God has torn down the curtain that separates the Gentile court. We can now enter through the Holy of Holies, through the blood of Jesus. Even though the Israelites knew God did not dwell in temples built by hands, they recognized that God promised to dwell in the temple's inner sanctuary. Now His special presence is not limited to place, building, ethnicity, or culture. God's presence is spread worldwide wherever people believe in Christ. My closing question for you is this as we close. Are you joined into God's family? Do you feel you belong? Amen? Communication is always two ways. But I don't feel like people like me. You reach out. You don't wait for people to reach out to you. You reach out to them too. Amen? What is missing in this picture here? Exactly. Church is never complete without you. You need to understand that. There are no spare parts in the body of Christ. Every single one of you here is valuable to God and very, very special to Him. Father God, as we close today, we want to remember what we were. But now in Christ, those of us that are far off, alienated, strangers from the covenant, strangers from the promises, have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. Lord God, therefore, we should not feel inferior 
We should not feel insecure. We should not feel like we're some second-class Christians, that somehow others are more spiritual than others. We break all that lies. Everybody is special to you because they are created in your image, redeemed by the same blood that saved every single one of us. So Lord, I just pray that you would draw near those who feel alienated, those who feel like they do not belong. I pray today they make a radical commitment to surrender their lives to you today. First to you and commit to your people a spiritual family. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, Amen.